Hello and welcome to Teach the Children the Truth, Ethnic Studies and Raza Studies in the TK-12 Classroom. My name is Marisa Villegas Ramirez and I am your host. I'm really excited to be back for another Wednesday episode. Today I'm actually recording from my car. I'm using my phone so I don't know that the quality is as good as, you know, when I record from my uh, from my laptop, but... I'm recording from my car because I'm driving home from work. It's a Friday afternoon when I'm actually recording this episode. And I had a lot on my mind about labels. I Many of you are aware that I teach Rasa Studies classes at James Logan High School. So I teach a couple of different courses. One of them is um, it's called... Latinx issues in the United States, and the other course is called Mexican American Heritage. And I have, throughout my years teaching high school level courses and junior college level courses, I have developed different units and different lessons. And I'm in the middle of a unit right now with my students that's looking at the CASTA system or the CAST system that was brought to the Americas by the Spaniards, <clears throat> and and this connects to a unit that I do at the beginning of the semester, which deals with labels and identity, and we've had some really great discussions. I've done some really exhilarating lectures on identity and the way that we label ourselves and the way that others label us. And, you know, in in our class over the semester, the, the terms Hispanic and Latino have been thrown around a lot by students. And, you know, we've had to kind of demystify these labels. Um, I think it's important to understand where these two labels come from and why it is that one or both of them at different times is a bit problematic. Um, I take that back. Not a bit problematic, but very problematic. First of all, the term Hispanic, well, both terms, Hispanic and Latino, are not labels that we have chosen for ourselves within our own community. In fact, both of these labels have political and economic um, foundations. They both have political, econo- political and economic foundations and are blanket ways of referring to entire populations based on language. So Hispanic is a term that was popularized in the late 70s, 80s of the last century. uh, That term was thrown around in political arenas as a way to categorize 
an entire population of people based on the language that we spoke, the term Hispanic. And interestingly enough, when you think about this term Hispanic and you do some research, you know, you come to find that the term Hispanic is really just focused on Spanish people from Spain. You know, even though we are all lumped in, whether you're Mexican, Mexican-American, Salvadoreño, Guatemalteco, Dominicano, Peruvian, um, pretty much everyone that comes from a Spanish-speaking country in Latino America, even... Brazilians, who don't even speak Spanish. Their primary language is Portuguese because they were colonized by Portugal. And even Brazilians are lumped into this catch-all Hispanic label. And the, the problem with that, aside from misidentifying us and lumping us all together, is that this label essentially ignores an entire aspect of our identity, which I believe is in many ways the more important aspect of our identity, which is our our origins, the fact that our ancestors are the original indigenous people of these lands, of the Americas, of this entire hemisphere. And when the Spaniards arrived or the Portuguese arrived, the Europeans in general, they brought the Spanish language and imposed it on us and and actually have us believing that Spanish is our home language. It has become our home language, not because that's what our indigenous ancestors wanted. It's become our home language because it was imposed on us, and that's all all that many of us have now, unless we are born into rural indigenous communities or we happen to be born into communities even in even in the cities that are still connected to their indigeneity then all we really have to fall back on is our spanish language and that has become the great identifier and the fact that this term hispanic is used not only by not only in political arenas but also as a way of labeling us for the sake of profit that you have corporations that need to be able to label the communities that they are marketing to and so the Hispanic or Latino market is you know very visibly one of the largest markets, you know, in this hemisphere because there are so many of us and because our spending power has increased. And so so you have this term Hispanic, and then side by side with Hispanic, you have the term Latino. Now, remember that Hispanic doesn't just refer to people of Latino countries. Hispanic includes Spaniards right and and really the term hispanic hispano in spanish even though we 
people in our communities in in the Americas use it to refer to ourselves as Hispanos or Hispanics. The term really specifies someone that speaks the Spanish language and and really is from Spain, from the Iberian Peninsula in Spain. Latino is another term that has also been used um, popularly among brown people here in the Americas, and that term refers specifically to people of Latin American countries. So Mexico, Central America, South America, and the islands. And when we think of the term Latino, you know, which comes from the word Latin, like, I don't know any Latinos who speak Latin. All the Latinos that I know either speak Spanish, English, or Spanglish, or Caló, right? Those are the only the only people I know. I don't know anybody in our community that speaks Latin. So why are we being referred to as Latino? Because that term, again, is connected with the European legacy of colonization that we're left with here in the Americas. And so then people might ask, well, so then what the hell do we call you? <laughs> you know, what are you? What are you? And and there's a lot of ways that we can answer that question. There's a lot of different responses to that question. And all of those responses would be correct in some way. All of the answers to that question would be right. Because we are a very diverse community. We are not all the same just because we all happen to speak some form of Spanish. Even within our own community, Spanish differs. The Spanish that is spoken in Mexico is very different from the Spanish that is spoken here in the United States by Mexican-Americans. Just ask the, um, the... Mexicans in in New Mexico about New Mexican Spanish. Their Spanish is markedly different from the Spanish that you hear in California or the Spanish that you might hear in Nueva York, right? And then if you go into the other so-called Latino countries, their Spanish is all going to be different. Even within the country of Mexico, the Spanish regionally changes from one part of Mexico to the other. So this idea... that we're all lumped together just because we share in common the Spanish language is, you know, it's more for convenience than anything. It's it's pretty ridiculous, this idea that, you know, we all are the same because we all speak Spanish. And we also have to remember that many of us don't speak Spanish, whether it's um, first, second, third generation Mexican-Americans here in the United States, or the children of recent immigrants who are being raised in the U.S., born and raised in the U.S., going to public schools here in the United States, and are having that language effectively, maybe not physically beaten out of them the way that my grandparents did, but they're having the Spanish language eradicated over the generation because of the the idea that in order to be American, you've got to speak English. And then you have folks who come from indigenous communities, Mam, Ishil, all coming here 
from Mexico and Guatemala and other parts of Central America speaking indigenous languages. We don't all, we're not, you know, we don't, we're not all cut of the same cloth. We're all different. And that's what makes it so beautiful is the diversity within our community. The diversity within our community that makes us so beautiful. And we also have to remember that ultimately our foundation is our indigeneity. And that is something that the terms Latino and Hispanic do not embrace. They do not recognize, they do not emphasize that we are indigenous people. They're only looking at our European connection. They're only looking at our Hispanic or Latino side. They're not looking at our indigenous side. And and, and this may also beg the question, are Latino people indigenous or native? I know that even within indigenous circles, primarily here in the United States, within native circles, that question comes up as a controversy all the time. You know, even within our own Latino communities, and there's that term Latino, right? But even with our own Latino indigenous communities, we are taught that we're not indigenous. We're taught that we are mestizos, that we are a mixture of Spanish and indigenous, and therefore, because we have that European blood and we speak the Spanish language, that we're not indigenous, that we're not native to these lands. And that is simply not true. I very strongly and firmly believe that all of us are indigenous, but because we have been de-Indianized, we have been colonized and taught that to be indigenous is bad. So we, we more readily embrace the European colonizer. We embrace the Spanish language. We wear it as an identity because it's easier. It's easier to do that than it is to go back and dig through our personal history, our personal ancestry to find out what what, what is our indigenous connection to this land? Who were my indigenous ancestors? What tribal affiliations, what community affiliations did they have? What am I? It's so much simpler to just embrace the concept of being Hispanic or being Latino and speaking Spanish. Y ahí se acabó. It ends right there because it's just simple. It's neat and clean and we know our heritage and our heritage is this big blend of Spanish and Indian and African and we never bothered to take that extra step to connect to our indigeneity. And so I see these terms of Hispanic and Latino as gatekeepers, and, and they very much divest us from our indigenous connection and from who we truly are. Yes, of course, I, I accept that I am you know, in my ancestry is part European. I, none of us can get away from that. You know, there are very few of us nowadays that are, that that can say we are purely indigenous. That just, you know, it's rare that that exists. But I am definitely going to embrace that side of myself. As a Chicana, 
I will embrace my indigeneity over my European colonizer ancestry any day of the week. Because I have embraced through my Chicanismo, I don't really refer to myself very often as Mexican-American, even though I know that's where my heritage lies. My great-grandparents on my mother's side and my great-grandparents, my grandparents actually on my father's side, were all from Mexico. My great-grandparents on my mother's side came here during the Mexican Revolution to get away from the war and violence that was happening in Mexico at the time. And and crossing the border when they did was a very different experience than what you have today. There was no real border fence. There were train tracks. There was guards. There was a... There was a barrier that would come down and would only lift up when people were given permission to cross. They checked your papers, and then they just let you come through. There wasn't the... And I use the term, the Chicana part, the Chicano movement, which happened here in the Southwest in the late 1960s and was inspired by the Black Civil Rights Movement in the South. And for me, this is a very important part of my identity. If I am forced to choose a label, I will always choose Indigenous Chicana. More directly explain who and what I am and what my experience with this country and this land are. The Chicano movement for me is not just a historical event. It's actually something that I lived out from birth, really from early childhood. My mom became, at this time in late 1970s, there was a continuation of this awakening that began in 1968. And this awakening spread throughout the Southwest. And of course, it made its way to El Paso. And I remember participating in protests and marches and all sorts of what one might consider to be radical organizing but which for for me even as a young child I understood that it was really a response to the racism the prejudice the segregation and the erasure of our people and our culture here in the United States and so for me being a Chicana is both a political and cultural statement. Another very important aspect of calling yourself Chicana or Chicano, or as some might say now, Chicanet, is that you have to demonstrate pride in your indigeneity. We are not just Mexican-American. We are indigenous. I practice aspects of my indigenous culture that I was not raised practicing. I wasn't raised with it. My grandparents did their best as first-generation United States uh, citizens born and raised here. And while in our family we did manage to maintain our colonizer Spanish language, we definitely were not raised with any indigenous. I don't think I can pinpoint any of my actual upbringing as a child or even my mother's upbringing as a child. My family was very Catholic, very God-fearing, at least my grandparents were, 
with the truth about Catholicism and colonization because that is part of our legacy. It's part of our culture. It has its place in our, but I was definitely not only raised with Catholicism, and and I'm very proud of that. I am actually no longer actively a practicing Catholic, although some of the teachings and, and some of the rituals are still a part of my life in some way. I don't think they'll ever be completely erased, and I don't know that I'd want them to be. It is very much a part of who I am as well. And I think that that is actually very central to what it means to be, is that we do have this duality. Our identity is made up not just of this European colonization and the Spanish language that was imposed on us, but it is also made up of our indigenous culture in Mexico and the southwest of the United States. And I think that's, again, why and erase an entire part of who we are. I really believe that our young people need to be reconnected with their indigeneity. It's always there. It's always in you. You have to reach inside and find it. And if you don't know that it's there, well, then obviously you're not going to be able to connect to that side of you. If you don't have that knowledge or you don't have someone that is able to provide you with that knowledge, then you're lost. And I really believe that the reason that our young people, and not just Chicano or Latino or indigenous, but also the other communities of color, the black folks, the Asian folks, the Middle Eastern folks, everyone is suffering from our disconnect to our indigeneity. And we get so wrapped up in the technology and the concept of making profit and making it big and having that big fancy house and that fancy car and all the money that we know is just an illusion. Because I I tell my students, I remind them, at the end of your last day or your last moment on earth in this life, you can't take any of that with you. The only thing that you're going to be able to take with you when you take your last breath is the knowledge, the memories, the experiences, and who and what you are. What is your essence? And for us as Indigenous people, we have been miseducated. To borrow from Lauren Hill about who and what we are, and we have been torn away. They have erased the Indian, the Indigenous in us. And we have to make sure that the future generations are made aware of the truth, are made aware of the fact that they are the legacy of their indigenous ancestors, and that we have the power to reclaim that part of ourselves. It may be dormant, but it's not lost. It's not gone. We just need a spark. We need something to spark that flame that will reignite inside of each one of us, inside of each of our children and grandchildren, so that we can recenter ourselves. And I really believe that as an educator, and being able to bring this history to my students, that is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to recenter, even if I just recenter five or six kids a year in terms of that indigenous part of themselves. If I can just center five or six kids that will begin, what do you know about your ancestors? What do you know? How, how many generations back do you remember? 
What kinds of stories did your grandparents and great-grandparents tell you if you met them? What were you brought up home remedies and that is stored in each generation? How much of that can we still tap into because it's still there? That is one of the few gifts, one of the few possessions that we will be able to take with us when we when we leave this life and begin our journey with the ancestors. And so, you know, in, in the beginning of this podcast episode, and, you know, we, I, I talked about the problem with Hispanic and Latino as labels. And I'm not, obviously, I, I get that, you know, for many of you listening, this may be the first time you've ever heard any of this history or that you've even stopped to think of what those terms actually mean because you were just raised referring to yourself as that. And it's important for you, if you're going to identify as something, if you're going to wear an identity, that you understand its origins, that you understand its purpose. And then, once you know it, then you can make an educated decision about whether or not you still wish to use that as an identifier for yourself. I really hope that after today's episode, that you will go out and do your own research and get a better understanding of what these terms mean, how they impact our existence here in this country. Who benefits from you referring to yourself as a Hispanic or a Latino or Latina or Latinx? Who's benefiting from that? And what's the actual message that you're sending by using that term or those terms? Because every time that we identify in some way, we're sending a message. We're telling people something about ourselves. And if you're using any form of, of label or any or you're categorizing yourself in any way, you want to understand how you're categorizing yourself and what that category means. What is it saying, not just about you, that you identify with and why it is important to know what these labels mean so that you use them wisely or so that you wisely don't use them. So I really hope that you will go out and do your own research, learn more about yourselves, talk to your grandparents and great-grandparents if you are blessed enough to still have them living. I sadly don't have any more of my biological grandparents alive. Everyone has passed away, and so I don't have any more biological grandparents left to be able to ask those identity questions from, and I do regret that. I didn't practice this myself. Even though I teach my students to do it, I didn't take the opportunity to ask them the questions when I had them with me. And that is something I will always regret. But at least I'm able to pass this knowledge on to other generations, to young people, in the hope that they will take my advice and start asking those questions of their elders. So with that, I want to leave you for today. I wish you love, peace, and happiness. In La Ketch.